Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Several years ago on a Canadian television, an interviewer asked several people uh, on the streets of Winnipeg uh, what they thought of the political performance of a guy named Darcy McGee as a cabinet member. It's kind of a random thing. TV station simply sent someone out in the streets of downtown Winnipeg. They went up to people and said, hey, here's this guy's name, Darcy McGee. What do you think of his performance as a cabinet member? What the interviewer didn't say is that the R.C. McKee had actually passed away on April the 7th, 1868, more than well over 100 years before this was done. Uh, so the, those who were asked naturally thought that this person was still alive. What was really interesting is how few people admitted to have no idea of who this guy was. Uh, most of the time, people feigned or faked some kind of recognition. Uh, only a couple said that they didn't know who he was. Most said, oh, he's all right. I guess he's okay for a liberal. He was, I guess, a liberal. I don't know. Terrible, just terrible, some others said. But at least he's not as bad as so-and-so. Uh, some People actually said, I saw him just the other night on TV, but I haven't really decided about him yet. Uh, friends, we're kind of like that as human beings, right? We often fake it. We feign. Sometimes a topic is brought up. Sometimes a name is brought up. And to be on the inner circle, to not seem like we have no idea what's being talked about, we just kind of like go along, maybe nod our head, give our two cents, pretending that we know, when in reality, we have no idea what's being talked about. You know, honestly, sometimes that happens in church too, doesn't it? You know, you're in a Bible study or somebody's talking about God and like the peace of God just came on me. We're like, yeah, like I know what that's like. We have no clue what that feels like. And so we kind of, one of our propensities is to, to kind of like fake it and feign it. Maybe to pretend that we know more than what we actually do, that we experience more than what we actually experience you know, sometimes pastors are, you know, pretty, pretty good at doing that. What I love in John chapter 14 through 16 is Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in one sense, he knows that they're faking it just a bit. I mean, as best as they can, they believe as best as they can get their heads wrapped around this thing. They're followers of Jesus. But Jesus knows that they really don't get it. Jesus knows that they're, they're really not where they think they are. They think they're someplace. They think they're kind of at a, a one to 10, maybe a, a, at eight in terms of trusting and understanding. Like they're pretty good. And they kind of like say this in these verses we're going to look at. But Jesus is like, eh, like not so much. He kind of calls their bluff. He kind of like is the interviewer says like, well, like persons was actually dead. The interview was asking about. So Jesus is walking his disciples through this. And the reason that he's doing that is because literally in just a few hours, they're going to go through the trauma of seeing Jesus betrayed, crucified, hung on a cross and buried. 
I mentioned last week, uh, this conversation is happening Thursday evening. By 9 o'clock sat Friday morning, Jesus is nailed to a cross. By 12 o'clock noon, the sky goes dark. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Friday afternoon, Jesus, it is finished. Within less than 12 hours, all of this would happen. And so Jesus is kind of pushing in on his disciples. Like, guys, there's some hard stuff coming. You've got to be ready. And like, yeah, we get it. We're good. And she's like, no, you kind of really don't. And so this is what's happening in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. In John 16, Jesus has already begun by saying, he says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. He says, look, guys, not just in the next few hours, but even beyond that, it's going to be hard. You probably don't really know how deep this is going to get. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. And so he tells them this so that they can be ready, so that they can understand that it's going to be a challenge, that their faith in him can grow. He talks in verses earlier that we looked at the last two weeks about their grief being turned into joy. He acknowledges there's going to be stuff that's going to bring grief and sadness and sorrow, but that's going to be the pathway to joy. And then here's what he says in verse 25, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 28. And, uh, and honestly, this is a little bit hard because there, we could go through every phrase, and some of these phrases are really challenging. Like, what in the world does Jesus mean by that? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard. And so when we want to kind of pick some of this apart. So like, okay, what is Jesus saying? But at the same time, the big picture is Jesus is pressing them in to understanding, hey, there is going to be hardship. There is going to be hard times, but this is a time and opportunity for you to go deeper and further along than what you presently are. So here's what he says in verse 25. He says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Again, it's kind of like complicated, so let's kind of like walk through some of this. And this, what Jesus is about to do, he's, he's wanting them to press in. He's pushing them in. So first he says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. When Jesus says he's speaking figuratively, that doesn't mean that he's spoken figurative language all the time. He actually did do that literally in John 15. He said, I am divine. It's figurative language. But what he's saying is, I'm actually speaking to you in a veiled kind of way. I'm not being overly explicit. Certainly Jesus did say, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to die. I'm going to be taken to the cross. I'm going to lose my life. He did say that, but, but a lot of what Jesus said was not overly clear. A lot of times it was veiled. Sometimes he used figurative language. Why did he do that? Jesus understood that they just would not be able to grasp it. If he came full out, they just wouldn't be able to get their head fully wrapped around it. He said, but a time is coming when I won't use this kind of language. I'll tell you plainly about my father. Interestingly enough, 
When Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking with his couple of his disciples. Again, this, now the crucifixion, the resurrection is all behind. This is what it says, Luke chapter 24. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. See, now it finally made sense. Uh, last week I said, you know, kind of used the story of, you know, if you lived in a tropical climate and came to Jersey in the middle of December, you'd be like, really? Those trees will never turn green. And somebody could explain that to you as much as they could. And you'd be like, no way. After they, then they get it. And maybe another way to look at it. Maybe some of you have had some kind of surprise party thrown for you. Maybe you were proposed to or something was set up and it was this, you know, big event. And, and, and you were kind of like maybe baffled by a couple of things that were said leading up to it. You know, maybe um, it was a surprise birthday party or, or something of that nature. And your spouse said, hey, by the way, can you go to the store and, you know, grab something? We need some milk. And you're like, really? Like I was just there yesterday. Why don't you tell me then? And, and maybe things are arranged in the house a little bit differently. And you just kind of like are confused and baffled. But I don't know, like, like, why do you want me to not come home from work when I usually come home from work at the time that I do? Like, why do I need to come home later? And you, like, it just kind of like confuses you. And then the party happens and everything is put into place, right? Oh, like, like when you told me to go to the store, that was to get me out of the house so that people, like, now I get it. Now it makes sense. Now the pieces fall in place. Like when you said, go to this appointment or pick up that, like that person really did not need to be picked up at all, but you asked me to do that. Like now it makes sense. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, guys, like I'm not going to get into a lot of detail because it's, but after it happens, it'll finally, Jesus says from all the way, the law, the prophets, Moses, all the way through, this is how it works. Now, like after the resurrection, like, oh yeah, now we get it. Wow. Like, wow. We sacrificed lambs on an altar. You said that you were the lamb. Like when you were like, that was you on the cross. Like we sacrificed lambs to kind of like cover up. Like we didn't really understand how that all worked. And, and now you said you're the lamb. Now you're on. Like now it makes sense. Now it clicks. Now we get it. Like that makes sense. Like that's what's happening. And so Jesus says like, it's, it's going to make sense. I love those verses in Luke chapter 24, verse 45 says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name and to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now we get it. Now we get it. Jesus goes on in that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Again, some like confusing words. What Jesus seems to be saying is this. And that day you will ask in my name. I will then be an official mediator between yourselves and God. And so you'll go to the Father through my name because I've I've cultivated the way I've made the way of relationship between you and the Father. 
but Jesus kind of clarifies something. He says, I'm not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. So Jesus is saying, like, just because you're going in my name, that doesn't mean the Father is chagrined to hear from you. It's not like the Father is grouchy and nasty and, like, you got to go to the Father in my name because if you don't, like, like you'll take him off because he's like kind of grumpy sometimes. Like just like, like that's not the case. The, the case is the father loves you. The father delights in you, but I'm the sacrifice. I'm the payment for sin that covers over your sin so you can freely talk to the father. What Jesus is basically saying is this. I'm saying, man, your belonging to the Father is the work of the divine Trinitarian activity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all involved in this. They're all involved in your healing, your restoration, your forgiveness, the right, putting rightness and restoration into place. Verse uh, 29. So Jesus says all this. Here's what happens. Here's how the disciples respond. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, just track with me on this because it's kind of like, it's a little hard what's going on here. Again, it's kind of like back and forth and a lot of things are a little bit hard to take apart. What seems to be happening is this. The disciples says, oh, now we get it. But the reason that they say they, listen, the reason that they say they get it is because Jesus has basically uh, known their questions even before they asked them. Jesus understands the doubts that are in their minds and hearts without them even asking. So, so they say, gosh, now we believe you're God because like, you're actually able to know our questions even before we ask them. That's kind of what they're thinking, which is really pretty superficial reason for them to believe. Um, they've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They've seen thousands of people healed. And it's like, really, like, you're going to believe because, you know, Jesus is able to understand your questions even before you ask them? Here's what verse 31 says. Jesus kind of plays along with this. He says, do you now believe? In other words, he's saying like, kind of like asks this a little bit tongue in cheek. Oh, so now you believe? Then he says, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. What Jesus basically does is he calls their bluff. They said, oh, now we believe because you know the questions even before we ask. And Jesus says, like, do you guys really believe? He says, in a little while. You're all going to scatter, and I'm going to be left all alone. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying to them, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, you think that you're a solid 8 or 9 in believing in me. You think you've got it covered. You think you know me. You think you can dot your I's and cross your T's. You've grown up with this stuff. He says, in reality, you're at a 2. He calls their bluff. Yeah, like I know the guy who you're talking about to the interviewer. Like I know him. Like you have no idea who that guy is. That's kind of what Jesus is doing with the disciples. Yeah, we know you, Jesus. We believe in you. Like, wow, you even know our thoughts before we can articulate them. Jesus is like, like, time out, guys. Like, you guys don't really believe. Like in just a few hours, you're all going to scatter and I'm going to be left alone. Don't tell me you really believe. 
What Jesus is prompting them to do is this. He said, guys, when you go through trouble, you've got to dive in more deeply than what you are. You think you're an eight. You're actually a two. You think you've got it all covered. You have nothing covered. Jesus is saying to them, guys, dive in more deeply. Explore. Understand. There's places for you to grow. And here's what I want to say to all of us gathered here. Like, I don't know where you are in your journey. Maybe some of you are just beginning and you're like, man, like, I don't know anything about this Bible and how it works and this guy named Jesus and you're watching online just to like check it out. And you're like, man, if I can just like begin to get something, I would say to you, that's awesome. Keep on walking, keep on exploring. You know what a little bit of my fear is? And and I am saying this because I've known Jesus for a very long time. You know what a, a higher level of my fear is? That those of us who, yeah, Jesus died and rose again. Heard that before, let's move on. Understand the God, yeah, like I understand the gospel, I've got it. Scale of one to 10, man, I can just like articulate it. I'm probably an eight or a nine because I've grown up with it and it's old news and I've got it and I got it figured out and I'm great and I'm good and like I'm, I'm all good. My greater fear is that's where a lot of us can be. Like, yeah, I trust God. My trust is in him. I've got all the intellectual stuff figured out. And, and on a scale of one to 10, like I'm, and Jesus is like, no, you're actually a two. Here's what I want to say. Is the gospel something where you've kind of been there and done that? Or is the gospel something that even yet today, you're like, man, I still feel like I'm in first grade. Like there's so much to explore. There's so much to learn about how God relates to me. There's so much for me to understand about his presence with me. Like, man, I've studied this for years and I still feel like I'm just beginning to learn the alphabet. Where are you at? Are you kind of been there, done that? And if you are, I would simply say, man, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh thirst for him because literally the gospel never grows old. You don't outgrow it. And friends, here's the deal. If you face tough challenges with a faith that's not grounded, you're going to struggle. Sometimes when I see what the church is going through at large in our culture, all the challenges with politics and science and just lots of things and all the questions, I think, here's what I think. It's like, in some ways, listen to this, we have neck deep challenges and we've got toe deep faith. We've got neck deep challenges and all these challenges have exposed the fact that we only have toe deep faith. Say, yeah, we believe we trust God. And like Jesus was kind of not (laughs) when it gets hard, you're all going to scatter. And so here's what I want to say, man, we've got neck deep challenges. Let's have neck deep faith. Let's have neck deep commitment to God. Let's have neck deep trust in him. Let's have neck deep understanding of the gospel. Let's go neck deep in understanding how the gospel relates to our lives. I don't know how that looks. Maybe it looks like being part of a group and bouncing ideas around and and talking about your faith with somebody. Maybe it looks like serving. Maybe it looks like praying. Maybe it looks like devotional time. All I know is this, friends. If we try to go through the challenges of life that are neck deep and we only have a toe deep faith, 
there's going to be issues. And so my challenge to you would simply be the same challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples, kind of what he read into them. Like, guys, you have no idea. You've you've got to go deeper. Jesus goes on. Here's what he says. He says, look, guys, you need to understand that even though you have trouble, it can be a growing time in your life. Verse 31. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Then he says, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, and in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus saying this, saying, look, guys, you think you're at an eight, you're only at a two. But here's the deal. Trouble actually brings an opportunity to move from two to eight. Troubles expose that you're only at a two, but troubles also are a pathway to deepen your trust in God to get to an eight. Not that, again, it's that linear, that measure, but I think you get what I'm saying. Dallas Willard says this. He says, it's absolutely essential to our growth into the mind of Jesus that we accept the trials of ordinary existence as the place where we are to experience and find the reign of God with us in actual reality. Here's what he says. It's it's counterintuitive. Most of the time, most of the time, we think if God makes my path smooth, if he makes things easy for me, Like that's going to enable me to have stronger faith. We kind of think if if God gets everything out of the way, if he's obviously present in my life, if he does all this cool stuff, then my faith will move from here to there. Jesus acts, it's actually the exact opposite. He literally says, hey, don't be shocked. There's going to be trouble. Uh, the, The The indicator that God is present is not the absence of trouble. He says, look, guys, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be hardship. But he says, here's the deal. That hardship is actually a pathway for you to move from here to there. It's actually a pathway for you to get stronger. It's actually a pathway for you to see how my peace is stronger than your trouble. And you'll never be able to see that without troubles. That's what he says to his disciples. Like in my mind, that's just the exact opposite of the way that I think it should be. I think the way that it should be is God should clear out the obstacles. God should remove the hardship. That's how his power should be seen. And then I'll grow in faith. Jesus, not so. You will have trouble. You will have challenges. There will be stuff that'll come up against you. You're like, where in the world is God? And he says, That, if you dive in, will actually be a pathway to a stronger, more vibrant, more trusting faith in him. Willard says, it's actually in the regular experiences of life that we actually start to experience the reign of God with us as an actual reality. Like we can, oh, if God is with me, things should be easy. Oh, if God is with me, I should feel that. Oh, if God is with me, that should be obvious. Willard's saying, no, not so much. 
It's actually in the dirtiness and messiness and confusion and hardship and challenges of life. That's actually the pathway to actually fully embracing God with us in reality. He goes on, we are not to try to get in a position to avoid trials. And we are not to catastrophize and declare the end of the world when things happen. Kind of hear that a lot these days. Like, is the world ending? It's like, no, you don't need to do that. We are to see every event as an occasion in which the competence and faithfulness of God will be confirmed to us. It's amazing, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. As a church, not just this church, but the church, do we see every single moment as a moment for the competency and faithfulness of God to be demonstrated? Like, is this cultural moment a moment that's defeating? Or is this cultural moment a moment in which the competency and faithfulness of God absolutely will be demonstrated? I was chatting with somebody a couple weeks ago, and they had a pretty significant difficulty happening in their lives, and was kind of chatting over text, and uh, it didn't turn out in the way that it was certainly hoped for and prayed for. This is literally word for word, the text that I received from them. They said, the peace and comfort I feel from the Lord, even in the hard moments, has deepened and strengthened my walk with him. I can't even imagine going through this and not being able to turn to him with all that is in my heart. What are they saying? They're saying, the peace and comfort I feel from the Lord, even in the hard moments, has deepened and strengthened my walk with him. You know what? That's a living modern-day testimony to exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Guys, you're going to have trouble. The proof of my presence with you is not the absence of trouble. The proof of my presence with you is that through your trouble, your faith will deepen and your trust in me will deepen. Question. What's your perspective of your troubles these days? Is it a chance to dive in? Do you see them as a chance to move from here to there to grow deeper in your walk with God? I'm going to ask our team to come out, and we're going to conclude by saying it is well with my soul. And here's what I want you to do as we get ready to do this. As we sing, it is well with my soul. Let's keep in mind that Paul says this in Romans 8, 38 through 39. Paul says this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's what I want you to do. What challenge or what hardship do you need to stare straight in the face? Stare it straight in the face. What's the messy thing? What's the hardship? What's the trouble that you need to stare straight in the face? 
and say, you know what? There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I can promise you that if you dare to do that, your faith will deepen. Your trust will grow. You won't have to fake it as much as we all do, and I include myself in that. What trouble do you need to stare straight in the face and say, I know God is with me even though this trouble is here. I know there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, I can tell you, if you do that, your faith will deepen. You will see that God's peace is greater than your trouble. Your trust will grow when Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That yes, even in this, God will be victorious. Somehow, I don't see how. Hopefully, maybe I'll see how while I'm still alive. But I know somewhere or another, God will be victorious for all eternity. I just know that because he promised it. If you're able to do that, we'll probably be able to sing, it is well with my soul and not fake it. Isn't that amazing? So let's stand and, and sing the song. And let's, let's sing it with a sense of like resolve. Let's sing it with a sense of defiance. It is well with my soul. I'm looking my trouble straight in the eyes. I'm looking at the challenge face on. And I am still saying, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's use this moment as a chance to deepen our faith, to, to deepen the reality of God being at work in our lives. Let's sing this with a sense of, of defiance and with a sense of declaration that it is well with my soul, not because everything is well out here, but because my trust is in God and not everything out here. Let's sing this together.
God, thank you that thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you see through our fakeness. You see through my fakeness. Thank you that you didn't just throw the disciples off the wagon. but that you walked with them on the journey. Even though they overestimated themselves and thought they were big time, you had mercy and grace. Thank you for having mercy and grace on me, on us. because we confess that sometimes we're just toe deep. May our trouble 
be a pathway to greater faith and experience of peace in you. May it be a pathway to us knowing with greater clarity that you are with us, that you overcome the world. We just thank you that you're patient with us wherever we are. Thank you that you're good, that you're merciful. that you're a God who is constantly at work and growing us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And everyone who agreed said, our prayer team will be down here to the right. Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. God bless, have a wonderful day.